Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34 is where we're going to uh, begin today, our kind of our jumping off uh, point today. And welcome to week six of our series that we are calling Behold, where we are walking through the attributes of God. And these are attributes given by revelation of God or a collection of descriptions from Scripture of who God is and who God will forever be. We started this back in November. It's going to keep going um, even into 2019. And we're just going to continually just place ourselves before um, this God and who He is. And this morning we come to um, two attributes we're going to place together. The mercy and grace of God. So we come to the mercy and grace of God this morning. As I told you from the beginning, this series kind of... Um, came to my mind as we in our discipleship group read through a book called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, and he highlights why um, a series like this is so important. He said this, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but also the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church, he says, is her idea of God. So how we view ourselves, how we pray, how we relate to each other, how we perceive the future, every relationship, every decision that we make, every thought that we have is rooted in what we believe God to be or who we believe God to be. And here's what I want to kind of lay before us this morning, kind of a, a foundation. We are all fallen people. So we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning all of us, when left to ourselves, will come up with a distorted picture or a distorted view of God. So all of us, when left to ourselves, will make God in our image. The question becomes, how distorted of a view do we come up with? And, or think of it like this. Our mental image of God is like a montage. A montage of early experiences in our lives, of family issues, maybe some religious training of conversations that we've had where someone said, this is what God is like. Maybe um, difficult times or pain that we experienced that shaped who we think God is. Maybe a parent or someone close to us declared, this is who God is to, to me. And all of these different things over the years have brought us to today. And today, when we bow our heads and we pray and we think about God, we have a picture of who it is that we are praying to. The problem is sometimes that picture is not a biblical one. And therein lies the problem. I, I think of the words of Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology who says, To look at God changes us and makes us like Him. And that's a really good thing when our view of God is a biblical one. It's not a very good thing when our view of God is tainted or flat out wrong. So I think we've got to make sure that who we perceive God to be is who God has revealed himself to be. We've got to make sure that the God in our mind and our hearts is the God of this word. We've got to make sure of that. If not, we are holding on to not only wrong thoughts, but damning thoughts. So think about this. Here's what we know of God as we have discussed so far. God is glorious. He is holy, holy, holy. He is 
good in all that he does. He is faithful. He is sovereign. And then this morning, he is merciful and gracious. So our merciful and gracious God, he is perfect in all of his attributes. His attributes are not just parts of him and make up a whole, but his attributes um, describe his total being, who he forever will be. Let me give you kind of a little downer um, to begin this morning. Even if we study all the attributes of God, and we're not, um, but even if we do, we still cannot fully understand God. In fact, did you know that even in eternity, for all of eternity, we will never get to the bottom of God? Did you know that? We'll never, ever get to the bottom of God. Some people have this idea that when we get to heaven, we'll know everything. The second we know everything, then we are God. We'll never get to the bottom of Him. But here's the, here's the problem. Here's what our human laziness does. Well, if we can't get to the bottom of Him, then why should I even try? And here's why we should try. Because we are able to know Him. And get this, brothers and sisters. You are able to know God today more than you did yesterday. And that should be enough for us. We and I were able to know Him more today than we did yesterday and what we know is that the bible declares god to be merciful and gracious yet many people still either struggle with that idea or many people don't see much need for it let me give you an issue that i face as a a pastor there there are two kinds of people that are extremely difficult to counsel biblically Uh, the, the first one thinks that they are too far gone to ever be forgiven by god There's that person. I'm too far gone. You don't know what I've done. God can never forgive me. The other person thinks that forgiveness is a given. It's a given. I don't have to do anything. All i got to do is be me. And why wouldn't God forgive me? One thinks they are utterly disqualified from the kingdom of God. And the other thinks they're an absolute shoe-in for the kingdom of God. One thinks that God is unbendingly wrathful and the other thinks that God is an absolute pushover one is blind to the magnificence of God's mercy while the other is blind to their own sinful misery and understand this so what we want to do is we want to take everyone in this room regardless of where you are maybe you're in one of those two camps hopefully you're somewhere um, in in the middle of of that of understanding this reality we want to take every person in this room and place before us today the mercy and grace of God and we're going to look at Exodus 34 and in Exodus 34 verse 6 did you know this is the most repeated verse in the Bible so in my, in my little mind here, it kind of goes like this. If God takes time to repeat something over and over and over again, we should probably take time to listen to it and to respond rightly to it. So that's what we want to do today. We want to respond rightly to the mercy and grace of God. So if you have your Bibles, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7 um, today. And uh, this would be our jumping off point. So beginning at verse 5, chapter 34, it says this, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, being Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him, again Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we come to the magnitude of these three verses. And Lord, even though today we're not going to, um, there's so many topics in those three verses that we can't get to today. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to see today in a fresh and a new way the magnificence and the beauty of your mercy and grace to us. Now that you would just place that before us today in a, in a way that will shape our hearts afresh and anew. In a way that will touch us, Lord, um, in our hearts, in a way that they need to be touched, the way our lives need to be touched, the way all of us need to be shaped by your mercy and grace. Do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So think about this. Mercy and grace, grace and mercy. These two terms are used by us interchangeably. Um, they seem to go hand in hand, but in fact... From our human standpoint, there's differences, yet from God, there isn't. Tozer said this, in God, mercy and grace are one, but as they reach us, they're seen as two, related, but yet not identical. And before we kind of look at the differences of grace and mercy, I want us to see the, the similarity. What is the similar picture? What is that which is similar to mercy and grace? And here's the one similarity that we know for all of us is that neither one, neither mercy or grace is deserved. We don't deserve either one of them. God has compassion on sinners who only deserve his wrath. Why? Because he's merciful. And then God pours his grace upon those um, sinners um, in Christ and saves us from our sin. The simplest way to kind of understand the differences between mercy and grace is that they're the they're the different sides, two sides of the same coin of God's love. So in other words, God's mercy is God not giving sinners what we deserve. And God's grace is God giving sinners what we don't deserve. So picture this, and some of you don't have to picture this too hard. So you're late to a meeting, and you are flying down the road in your car, breaking the speed limit, when suddenly you see blue lights flashing behind you. I know Mike's having a moment right now. It's all coming back to him. Okay, this sermon brought to us today. So in that moment, there's something that you deserve. You deserve in that moment a hefty ticket. You broke the law. There's a penalty for that crime. Yet after that brief conversation, just imagine the officer just giving you a warning. That is mercy. You deserve a ticket. He withholds that from you and instead gives you mercy. Now, I know Robert's over here going, uh-uh, nope, you get a ticket and you'll like it. But then imagine, not only do you get mercy from that police officer, imagine that now that police officer says, I will escort you to your destination. So instead of those blue lights being behind you, now they're in front of you leading the way and you make it to your destination not late, but on time. You're not, you don't only deserve a ticket, you deserve to be late, but by grace and by mercy, neither of those things happen. So why do I bring up this distinction? Why do I even talk about this? 
here's the reason, because every single person in this room and in this world is in desperate need of God's mercy and his grace. The grace and the mercy that's freely given to us in and through Christ. I read a quote this week that really struck me, and I'm just going to say it. I don't know who said it, but it goes something like this. We don't need mercy and grace like a thirsty man needs water or like a sick woman needs medicine. No, we need mercy and grace like a dead corpse needs life. That is how we need mercy and grace, like a dead corpse needs life. So what we're going to do in the remaining time that we have is we're going to unpack three truths pertaining to the desperate need that all of us have for mercy and for his grace. The first truth is this. Behold the mercy of God. So let's look at that first. Behold the mercy of God in the face of hopelessness. So behold the mercy of God in the face of hopelessness. So mercy is when that which is deserved is withheld from us. Mercy means compassionate or it means full of compassion. It means to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. And God is merciful to us. Deuteronomy 4.31 says, The Lord is a merciful God. Nehemiah 9.31 says this, Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Mercy is not just a temporary mood of God. Mercy is an eternal attribute of God. It is who God is. Is This is mercy. Brothers and sisters, we have all sinned against a holy God. We deserve not just some little bit of a wrath. We deserve eternal wrath in hell. We are completely hopeless in our sinful condition. Yet in God's mercy, he poured his wrath upon Jesus on the cross so that his wrath would never have to touch you or me who are in Christ. Think of it this way. Who initiated God's mercy? We didn't. He did. Why? Because he is merciful. This is who he is. He is a merciful God. So the, the mercy of God is one of the most precious realities in all of the world. When God shows his mercy, he does so with purpose and power. And here's what we see. Ultimately, God's mercy shows us who he is, meaning he's merciful. But it also shows us who we are, meaning we've sinned and we're in need of God's mercy, meaning we are hopeless apart from him. The good news for us is Lamentations 3 says, The steadfast love, love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We live in a world where everything is in a state of decay. Because of sin, everything we know is constantly decaying, except for Brother Curtis. But everything else besides Brother Curtis is in a constant state of decay. He got me earlier, so i gotta, I got to get him back. So everything is in a state of decay except for God's mercies. They are not decaying. They do not run out. They do not 
ever come at a wrong time. They never dry up. They never grow weak. They never get weary. They never disappoint us. His mercies never, ever fail because they are really new every single morning. God's mercy is a fountain that never stops flowing to you and to me. And it's not enough, brothers and sisters, to believe that God was merciful to Noah, then to Abraham, then to Moses and Israel and David, all the way up to Jesus, and that because God's merciful, He'll be merciful to other people in the future. No, it's not enough for us to believe that. We must believe that, but we also must believe that God's mercy is still flowing upon us this very moment. In fact, let me say this. For those who have received this mercy, you know that it changes everything forever. The mercy of God changes everything forever. It takes away what we deserve and it takes it away forever. Behold the mercy of God in the face of hopelessness, which is what we are. But then secondly, behold the grace of God in the face of helplessness. So behold the grace of God in the face of helplessness. We as believers are rescued from judgment by God's mercy. Yet grace is anything and everything that happens after that. So everything that happens after that is God's grace. Not only is God infinitely merciful, He is infinitely gracious. The Bible says in Psalm 145, we read it at the beginning, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Grace means undeserved kindness or favor. Do we see the difference? In His mercy, God withholds from us what we deserve, eternal wrath. And in His grace, He gives to us what we do not deserve, eternal life. Grace is something that every single person in this room and every single person in this world needs. And please get this, we cannot earn it, which makes us helpless. We cannot earn it. We cannot do anything to deserve it. Therefore, we are helpless. And therefore, grace is the most transformational word in the Bible. The entire story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation is a story of grace. In fact, the entire reason that we are here this morning is because of God's grace. Do we really understand the majesty, the beauty of the amazing grace that we have given or we've been given? If we don't, let me tell you what's going to happen. If we don't understand God's grace and mercy, we will always look away from God to other things to get us through life. And the beauty is we don't have to go out looking to belong. We don't have to go out looking somewhere else for for joy. We don't have to go out looking somewhere else for forgiveness. We don't have to go out looking for somewhere else or something else that casts out fear. All of those things are ours in Christ or can be ours today through grace. All of them can be ours. Grace explains something beautiful, brothers and sisters. Grace explains how a holy God reaches his holy hand into the muck and mire of our fallen world through the presence of his son and how he brings that which is dead and trespasses and sins. Hear this. He brings what is dead and trespasses and sins not back to life. He brings us to life. So we're not we're not born Living, and then we mess it up, and we die, and God has to bring us back to life. No, we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. And in that fallen and dead state, 
by his grace, God brings us to life. We are saved by grace and we must live by grace. Grace is the reason we've been invited to come to God and grace allows us to come to God. Grace will expose our sin, making us more uncomfortable than we've ever been in our lives, while at the same time, grace will cover our sin, giving us more comfort than we could ever begin to imagine. Grace will bring us to the end of our kingdom and everything that we are building, and grace will bring us into the presence of the King of Kings and His kingdom. In fact, grace enters our life in a moment but yet it occupies our life for eternity. Such is the grace of God. How does, how does God respond to us? By grace. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Paul says, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's a gift of God, not of work, so that you can't boast. Please hear this today, brothers and sisters. He is the God of all. And according to his word, he is gracious to all. Even though he doesn't have to be gracious to any. He doesn't have to be gracious to anyone. He doesn't have to be merciful to anyone. We don't think about that thought that God would be just just by sending us all to hell. That, I mean, that would, God would be just. God could just say, hell, all of you, and God would be completely just forever in doing so. Yet God gives us what we do not deserve. And the good news for all of us is that God's grace stretches further than our sin. You know, the Bible says in Romans 5 that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Or think of it like this. And let me just, I see some of you are dozing off right now because apparently you have no clue what I'm talking about in the grace of God. Maybe one day you'll, you'll get it and maybe it'll be today. But here's the beauty of it. You, you and I have rebelled against a holy God. And this holy God doesn't respond like you or I do. He doesn't just cross his arms. He doesn't pout and he doesn't just watch us die. No, instead he spreads out his arms. He comes to us and he dies for us. That is his grace. Let me again summarize it, just the differences between mercy and grace. And this comes from David Jeremiah, and he says this, Mercy is, is God withholding the punishment we rightly deserve. Grace is God offering the most precious gift of all. Mercy withholds the knife from the heart of Isaac. Grace provides a ram in the thicket. Mercy runs to forgive the prodigal son. Grace throws a party with every extravagance. Mercy bandages up the wounds of the man beaten by the robbers. Grace covers the cost of his full recovery. Mercy hears the cry of the thief on the cross. Grace promises him paradise that very day. Mercy pays the penalty for our sin at the cross. And grace substitutes the righteousness of Christ for our own wickedness. And I love this one. Mercy closes the gates of hell and grace opens the gates of heaven. Praise God to, from whom all blessings flow. And his mercy and grace have flowed and been lavishly poured upon us. 
Praise God. Behold the grace or the mercy of God, excuse me, in the face of hopelessness. Behold the grace of God in the face of helplessness. And then lastly, behold both the grace and mercy of God in the face of righteousness. Behold both the grace and mercy of God in the face of righteousness. So mercy and grace are best demonstrated in the face of righteousness, which is the face of Christ. God coming to us in Christ is Christmas. It's what we are celebrating. Here's the point. We don't make ourselves strong and then somehow work our way up to a strong God. No, the story of Christmas is that a strong God made himself weak and came down to us so that we who are weak might find in him a strength that never fades or strength that never weakens, excuse me, a beauty that never fades, or eternal life that never, ever ceases. A baby in a manger, a Savior on a cross, a high priest in the heavens, all point us to the grace and mercy of God. I want to end our time this morning by telling a story and then pointing us to three places. The story is of two trees. Originally, it is three trees, but we don't have time for the the second one, so he's being left out. Bless his heart. Um, Just so you know, he becomes a boat. We'll just leave it at that. But we're going to make it now about about two trees. So once upon the mountaintop, two little trees stood and dreamed of what they wanted to become when they grew up. The first little tree looked up at the stars and said, I want to hold treasure. I want to be covered with gold and filled with precious stones. I'll be the best and most beautiful treasure chest in all of the world. The second little tree looked down the valley and said, I don't want to leave the mountaintop at all. I want to grow so tall that when people stop and look up at me, they'll raise their eyes to heaven and think of God. I want to be the tallest tree in the world. Years passed and the little trees grew tall. One day, woodcutters climbed the mountain. One looked at the first tree and said, This tree is beautiful and it is perfect for me. With a swoop of his shining axe, the first tree fell. And that tree thought, Now I shall be made into a beautiful chest. I shall hold wonderful treasure. The second tree felt her heart sink when another woodcutter looked her way. She stood straight and tall and pointed bravely to heaven, but the woodcutter never even looked up. Any kind of tree will do for me, he muttered. With a swoop of his axe, the second tree fell. The first tree rejoiced when the woodcutter brought her to a carpenter's shop, but the carpenter did not fashion him into that of a treasure chest, but that of a feed box for animals. The once beautiful tree was not covered with gold or filled with treasure, but was coated with sawdust and filled with hay for hungry farm animals. The second tree was confused when the woodcutter cut her into strong beams and left her in a lumber yard. What happened, the once tall tree wondered. All I ever wanted to do was to stay on the mountaintop and point people to God. Many days and nights passed. The two trees nearly forgot their dreams. But one night, a golden starlight poured over the first tree as a young woman placed her newborn baby in that feed box. This mother squeezed her baby's little hand and smiled as the starlight shone on this wonderful baby and this smooth and sturdy wood. 
The mother responded, this manger is beautiful. Suddenly that first tree knew that he was holding the greatest treasure the world had ever known. Many years later, one Friday morning, the second tree was startled when her beams were yanked from the forgotten woodpile. She flinched as she was carried through an angry, jeering crowd. She shuddered when soldiers nailed a man's hands and feet to her. She felt ugly and harsh and cruel. But on Sunday morning when the sun rose and the earth trembled with joy beneath her, this tree knew that God's love had changed everything. And now every time people thought of this tree, they would think of God and his love. That was better than being the tallest tree in the world. So what treasure was placed in that feed box? An amazing treasure of mercy and grace. And do you know what gifts were placed underneath that? What uh, J. Vernon McGee calls that first Christmas tree, which is the cross? The gifts of mercy and and grace for us. Jesus Christ came into the world to confirm to all that God is who he said he was on the Mount, uh, on Mount Sinai. He is a God merciful and gracious. Both perfect mercy and perfect grace are found in Jesus Christ. So let me end by pointing you to three places where you will always find mercy and grace. Maybe you feel today like, I don't know where to look for it. I don't know where I can find it. Let me tell you three places where you can find God's mercy and grace. Number one, go to that feeding trough. Go to that feeding trough in Bethlehem and look into it. As we've been saying every Sunday the last few weeks, take this season and immerse yourself in the Christmas story. Immerse yourself in the story of Christmas. And as you stand there and as you look in that feeding trough, in that manger, and as you see that baby sent from God to us, you will find mercy and grace there. Then go to the cross. Go to the foot of the cross and you will see God's mercy and grace not only pouring from it, you will see God's mercy and grace rest at the foot of it. At the cross, we see the mercy and grace of God. And in the third place, go to the throne of the great high priest. You know what you find there? Hebrews 4, 14 and 16 tells us, it says, we have a great high priest. What's his name? Jesus, the Son of God, who in every respect, in every way, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So because of that, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need his mercy is ours in christ some of you are in this room today and the enemy has told you that grace and mercy no longer reaches you the enemy has told you that um, you can no longer have or partake in that grace and in that mercy. 
Let me end today with the words of Tozer, the words he closes his chapter on grace with. He says this, We who feel ourselves alienated from the fellowship of God can now raise our discouraged heads and look up. Through the virtues of Christ's atoning death, the cause of our banishment has been removed. We may return as the prodigal returned and be welcomed. As we approach the garden, our home before the fall, the flaming sword is withdrawn. The keepers of the tree of life stands aside when they see a son of grace approaching. Brothers and sisters, we go to the manger and we see his mercy and grace. A mercy that was poured out to those who, like us, are hopeless. We go to the cross and we see his mercy and grace. Grace that is poured upon those like us who are helpless. Who can do nothing to save ourselves. Praise be to God. Jesus did all that was necessary for our salvation. And then we go in prayer to the throne of our high priest. We go to Jesus' throne of grace. And there, according to the word of God, we find mercy and we find grace to help in our time of need. Let me conclude it all this way. This is mercy, this is grace, and this is ours. It's ours. It can be yours. I pray today that you know of this mercy and grace. If you have never turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. Or if you're a believer in this room and for some reason you are on this side where you, you believe that somehow grace and mercy is just owed to you, it's just a given, it's just an afterthought, I pray today that God through his word and spirit would open your eyes to the reality of what you and what I, what we deserve apart from Christ and what we get because of his mercy and his grace. May we ever continue to stay in awe of him for that. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand this morning and we're going to go ahead in just a second call the musicians down. But let's pray together. Father, we come before you in this time together today. We thank you that we can lift high this very day your mercy and your grace. And Lord, we acknowledge that, Lord, maybe, just maybe, there is some in this room who, has, who have never trusted you, Jesus, as their Savior and Lord. And we ask, God, if that be the case, that this would be the day of salvation for them. That this would be the day, oh God, that they turn from trusting in themselves and they turn, oh God, from their sin. That they repent of their sin, God, and turn to you, Jesus. Trust you as Savior and Lord of their lives. Trust what you, Jesus, have done for them, Lord, in your perfect life, in your death for the sins of the world. And in your resurrection. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. May that happen today. And Lord, we pray for brothers and sisters in this room today who for some reason, oh God, we are unmoved by your mercy and grace. Lord, remind us in this moment, God, what we deserve apart from you. And remind us what we get because of your mercy and grace. 
because of your mercy, we don't get the punishment that we deserve. And because of your grace, we get the eternal life that we could never, ever deserve. We thank you that your mercy closes the gates of hell for us and your grace opens the gates of heaven. Oh, how we rejoice in you today. Finish this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, come, oh, come, amen.